we, um, as you have heard many times, we are thinking today about love. And I want to ask you um, to do something for me. Um, I want you to think, um, what shape, what shape is it that comes to mind when you think of the idea of love? What shape, sort of geometric shape, is love, is love square? Um, is, love, is love something else? I just realized that I'm giving you an answer, but let's ignore that answer, because that is the obvious answer. What, 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 what for you, what, what shape is love? What, and, and it could be more complex than a triangle or a square or a love heart or something like that. Um, but something that for you is an image or something that, a memory or something that when you think of love, you think of something. You think of that. You think of that shape. You think of that thing. Okay, I'm not going to ask for answers yet, but we'll see as we go along um, if any of the things that, 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 that I've thought might come up for you. It's not a right and a wrong answer, don't worry. I'm not going to tell you to leave if you've got a different answer. Um, but we are thinking about love, but we're not just thinking about love because love is lovely. Um, we're thinking about it because it's the last in this series that we've been doing. And this series that we've been doing has two names. It's called God Is, and we're looking at big claims about who God is. But it's also called, is God such and such? Because the truth is that lots of the claims that the Bible makes, that Christians believe about who God is, throw up all kinds of questions. Questions for us, those of us who would describe ourselves as Christian, because we look at those things and we go, but it doesn't, it doesn't quite ring true for me, or, or I'm struggling to understand or to believe that. Uh, or it might be questions for our world. They look at that and go, well, if Christians are right about that, then why such and such? Fill in the blank. And today we are looking at this idea of God is love. Now, God is love is a pretty foundational Christian belief. But there's lots of reasons and ways in which we might question it or we might doubt it or it might come under fire and opposition from people who go, how can God possibly be loving when such and such, when this happens, when that happened to me, when we see these things going on in the world. So I'm going to start with probably the most uh, well, sort of well-rehearsed verse in the Bible about God being love, and it's this one. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Uh, who for their shape their shape or their image or their depiction of love had something to do with a wedding or marriage or, or love in a sort of romantic sense? No one? Is that because I did this and you weren't allowed to use love hearts and that's what you all had already? Who had love hearts before I did that? There we go. Okay, so, so, so fair enough. Uh, fair to say, um, uh, Liz put her hand up to say something. Do, do you want to shout out? You're feeling brave? No. <laughs> You're just affirming me. That's very lovely. Um, uh, Liz is the shape of love. No. Um, the, um, what, why is that? Why is it that when we think of love, we think of something to do with, to do with marriage? Well, it's because it makes sense, right? A marriage, uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, I'm going to a wedding later this week and another one the week after, and this is quite a wedding-y year for me. Um, and there's, I'm sure I will hear this verse a number of times, God is love. And on a day when you're celebrating love, when you're celebrating two people who are, who are getting married... It makes total sense to think of God being love because it's all the days all about love, so let's talk about God being love. And it, it just sort of rings true. It feels appropriate on a day like that. But there are other times when that phrase, God is love, can maybe feel a little bit more removed. 
How about, how about this as another, as another image, a, a hospital waiting room, waiting for the result, waiting for the test, waiting for the operation, waiting, to, waiting and not being quite sure, feeling maybe alone, maybe feeling anxious or worried or concerned or not quite knowing. And, and in those situations, it can feel as though God is maybe a little bit more distant, and distant kind of doesn't feel like love, does it? Love is when we come close, not when we stay far away. Maybe in those times it can be harder because difficult things have happened, and not just talking about sickness, but, but other times when, when, when life is tough, when life is hard, and we can think, is God really here? Does he care? Has he left me alone? Is he distant? Then there's another thing. When Christians, or people who call themselves Christians at least, do the opposite of the loving thing. Here's a picture of people from Westboro Baptist Church in the United States holding up signs saying things like, God hates you. God is your enemy. You're going to hell. And like it or not, there's a lot of people in the world who their experience of the church, maybe not with placards and signs, but their experience of Christians is one of judgment, is one of being told that God hates them or is angry with them, and, and that's it. And when... Christians, either through waving around signs and telling people explicitly, or just through our actions, by not wanting to associate with certain types of people, or not wanting to have anything to do with that person, or just by keeping our distance and being standoffish and being, we can end up making it harder for people to believe that God is love, because if our life is meant to be based on God, and we're not loving, then how could God possibly be love? So there are reasons why people might struggle with this idea of God being love. Ourselves, others, the world around us. I want to suggest that it's incredibly important that we don't lose sight of the fact that God is love. And instead of just looking at this verse, I want to look at it in the context of the, of the chapter we find it in, in the New Testament. So this is John, who, had a, who, who was, by all accounts, Jesus' best earthly friend, wrote this letter. And it's a, John is quite poetic in the way that he writes things. He's not a sort of mathematician or an engineer, and he sort of has point one followed by point two, followed by point three, and they flow through. He's sort of here, there, and everywhere, and all around. So as we read this passage from John, uh, chap, uh, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21, as I read, you'll find things about God's nature, things about what God has done, things about who God is. You'll see things about who people are and the way that we behave or don't behave and what that says about us. All of these different sort of swirling themes and ideas. Hold on to them. Try try and sort of spot them. Try and see as we go through the different ways that God's love is talked about and expressed. And then we'll try and capture a little bit of it. So this passage says this. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. 
And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us. So that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Anyone else feeling as though the word love has lost all of its meaning? Um, as, you, know, you know, when you just write or hear the same word so many times and you think, good grief, is that even a word anymore? Is that how you even spell love? I, I haven't counted, but a lot of times. God is love. God does love. This is how God showed his love. We should love. Love, 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 all over it. I want to sort of uh, try, and, try and sort of synthesize that down and think about four different ways that God's love is talked about and expressed in these verses. The first, and you're going to have to bear with me for a moment here because this gets a little bit sort of abstract and theoretical. God loves God. God is love, we're told. That famous verse, but that's not the first time we hear it. We also hear it in verse 8. Because God is love, we're told. We're told that, uh, that, that love comes from God. Now, if something comes from God rather than from somewhere else, then it's got to be something that God himself has. It doesn't need other, thi- other people or, or, or a world or anything like that to have love, to, to, to be love. God has to have it all by himself. So here's, a, here's an even more abstract theoretical idea. What was God doing before the world was made? Anyone? No. Um, Christians, I'm a Christian, I believe in what the Bible teaches, and one of the things we believe is that God exists and existed eternally. Before the world was made, God, God doesn't need this world in order to exist. He made it because he already exists. And one of the things that, that the Bible teaches us is that God, not only is he eternal, but he has been eternally loving. Now, in order to love you have to direct your love somewhere. And this idea within God himself being love is part of, where, part of why Christians have this concept, this idea of the Trinity, that God is one. Christianity is a monotheistic religion. We believe in one God, but we believe that that God exists as Father, Son, and Spirit. And that the love that God is, is the love between the Father and the Son in the eternal power and love of the Holy Spirit. And that that is who God is. The reason we've got some abstract art on the screen is because you can't depict that in a, in, a, in a chart or in a flow diagram or in a simple analogy. There's all kinds of analogies out there. Ice, water, and steam. An egg has three different parts. There's lots of things that you can use which help to give a window into who God is. But all of them fall down somewhere. But the essence of it is that God's inner relationship with himself is one of love. And that the reason everything else exists is an overflow of that. 
God created this world as an overflow of his creativity, that he might have people that could be an expression and that he could express his love towards as an overflow of what already exists. If that didn't make sense, I really can't help you because that's the best I can do. But God is in himself love. That's a fundamental and foundational principle. But it doesn't stop there. You'll hear me use that phrase a few times today. God is love, but it doesn't stop there. Because it gets a little bit less abstract now. God loves us. What else do we see in this passage? Well, we see that verse. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. God made all of this so that there could be a place for us to be, to have a relationship with him. But we chose other things. We chose to do things our own way. We chose to reject some of his rules. We, we, we chose to become lords and, and of our own lives. We chose to reject some of God. That's part of the story of the early chapters of the Bible. God loves us, but we loved other things. We loved ourselves in unhealthy ways. And the Bible calls that sin. And in these verses, just after what's up there, um, he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The image up there. Who, when I said, what's the shape of love? Did anyone come up with a cross? Was that your shape? One, two. They're the holiest. They're the best. Three, sorry, three. Um, No, no right and wrong answers. But the cross is one of the Bible's primary shapes for love. That the cross is the way that God's love is expressed and displayed to the world in its fullest form. Because while I was running off my own way, God said, I'm going to send my very precious only son into this world. The father and the son who exist in this eternal loving bond of relationship in the power of the spirit, choose, choose. The father sends The son goes as an expression of love and then to even die in your and my place, to take the punishment and the guilt for all of that wrong and all of that selfishness that we have. So that overflow of love starts within who God is but then is expressed towards something, expressed towards us. But it doesn't stop there because us is still very general. I want to narrow that down even further. God loves you. This dude in the picture who's got a t-shirt that says, uh, Jesus died so I could live. But he's not holding that message just to himself. He's proclaiming it on a t-shirt and he's pointing to people. And because of um, the way that perspective works, hopefully all of you should see him pointing directly at you, whether you're in the person or, or, or joining online. Because God doesn't just love humans. He doesn't just love people. He loves you and me specifically. At verse, verse 15, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. God doesn't just want to love people. He wants to love you. If anyone acknowledges him, if anyone will receive him, if anyone will trust in him, then he will live in them. This is how we know that we live in him and he is in us. That same phrase there, but two verses earlier. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. So the father and the son and the spirit in this eternal cosmic relationship of love, the father sends the son and the son and the father then send the spirit to live in you. 
The Father sent, the Son went, the Spirit stays. Lives in us, dwells with us, stays close to us. God just keeps getting closer. And closeness is not the opposite of love. Distance is the opposite of love. But it doesn't stop there. One more. Let's go one more time. God loves the world. I put a sign up of Chalfonts and Peter, our little bit of the world. There's obviously other places are available. <laughs> this is how love is made complete among us. And that little dot, dot, dot um, speaks of it being complete in us so that we know when it comes to God's day of judgment, when, when the end comes, we can stand sure if in this world we are like Jesus. What does it mean to be like Jesus in this world? Well, there's lots of things that might mean compassionate and forgiving and kind and all of those things. But actually in this passage, what does it mean to be like Jesus in the world? Well, Jesus was in the world in this passage because he was sent into the world as an expression of God's love. So what does it mean for us to be like Jesus in this world? It means for us to be sent into this world as an expression of God's love. And so it continues on through. God loves this world, and one of the things he's done about that is he's created the church to be his physical presence, to be his body, to embody him to the rest of the world. So that in theory, when people look at us, they see the love that God has for the world. That we have experienced because the Spirit has poured it into our hearts. That the Spirit has done because the Son sent him. That the Son did because the Father sent him and he went in love and in obedience. So we've got these different expressions of God's love. But here is another shape that I think is important for love. This is my shape, an arrow. Because at each step of this way, there is, there is an action and there is a forward motion about this. I'll use the full width of the stage for once. Sorry for the people on the camera. So these aren't just four different things that are happening all at once. God, Father, Son, and Spirit exist in this eternal relationship of love. And it could have just stayed there. They could have said, right, we're going to stay on the spot here. But instead, when they see a world in need... The Father sends, and there is motion, there is movement, and Jesus comes into the world. And he could have said, well, I'm going to stop there. I'm not going to die, I'm just going to sort of enjoy it. It's quite, quite a nice neck of the woods, so I'll enjoy being around here, I'll live out my life to a grand old age. But no, he goes to the cross. He continues to go in love for us, and I probably need to go this side now, don't I? But then, having done that, he could have stopped, God could have stopped there. But no, he continues and, they, and, and the Spirit is sent to us. And the Spirit could have said, well, okay, let's just have a nice old, nice old Barney as the church. Let's just, let's just enjoy one another's company. Let's just have a, have a good old loving. But no, the Spirit sends us, sends the church into the world. And every single step of the way, there was a choice not just to stay put, but to go. The Father sent. The Son went. The Spirit stayed. And we have the choice whether we'll just stay put, enjoy the comfort or discomfort of our own lives, but make it all about us, or whether we will go. That's the choice. This arrow keeps going through this whole process because it is an active thing, not just a passive sit still kind of thing. 
God's love is on the move. There is a flow from God's own being through the world into the church and out. And we have the choice to get caught up in that flow or not. So where does that leave us with our three uh, pictures from the beginning? What about those people who are doubting God's love because he seems very, very distant? Maybe as they sit in a hotel, uh, not hotel, a hospital waiting room, or maybe just because everything is so, so tough and they feel alone. If that's you in here or joining online, I want to try to encourage you to hold on to God because I believe passionately and with my full heart that he has not let go of you. Why would he? after such a great journey from from heaven and from, from his own being, from his own heart to the cross, into the church, into the messiness and the lives of our own hearts as the spirit comes and takes up residence, why would he stop there? He has done so much. Take courage and take heart in that. He is not going to leave you alone. But can I also say, To those of us who would call ourselves Christians, that's maybe sometimes the reasons that God feels distant from people is because we are a little bit too distant from them. If I want to show my next door neighbor that we care about her, that I love her, I don't do that just by looking over the fence and shouting instructions for what I think she could do better. I'm not that kind of neighbor anyway. But actually I go around and help go and do the shopping for her or go and fix a light bulb for her because actually it's when, I, it's when I choose to enter into her life that she knows that I'm there, that she knows that I care. Are there people that you know that actually you've been keeping your distance from and, and maybe you need not to? Is there someone in your office or someone in your street who you could just say, look, I know things are tough at the moment. Could I pray for you? I believe that God cares about you. You might think, oh, that feels really, really tough. It might be. It might be very, very scary. But it is part of that flow, getting caught up in the flow from God into our world because he chooses to go through us, through the church. What about that other picture of those Christians at Westboro Baptist Church who are declaring God's not love but God's hate for the world? I think we just have to name that, right? It's evil. It's wrong. It's false. It's not true. Not an expression of who God is. And we can look at extreme examples like that and go, yeah, of course there's none of that. But we also need to look in our own hearts, those of us who choose to follow Jesus. What is it that we read in these, in these verses? Since, we, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. The emphasis there is on brothers and sisters, people who are children of God, people who are part of the family, people who are Christians, people who have turned and believed in Jesus. We should love one another. The world is a bit fed up of the church fighting, isn't it? But we also need to recognize that it's not just that sort of turn inward and just love one another and ignore the rest of the world because just as the overflow of God's own heart, Father, Son, and Spirit of love was to overflow into the world, so our love for one another should flow out into the world. By this, people will know that you are my disciples, my followers, Jesus says, that you have love for one another. Our love for one another shouldn't be private. It should be on display. 
It should be evident, and it should flow out into our love for the world around us, not just for those who are in the room or online. We have a responsibility to represent God to the world. If you're going to a wedding and you see a couple being married, it's a picture of what love might look like. It's never going to be a perfect picture because they're not perfect people, but it's a picture of that. And it's why on those days, talk of God's love seems so appropriate because we're seeing a picture in front of us of love. The church is Christ's bride. That's how we're described. He loves us. We should be a people of love in response to that and in response to our world. So I want to encourage you that love moves. Love moves forward. Love is about a God who sent, Jesus who went, a spirit who stays. And this church actually has a legacy of sending people. Have a legacy of sending people to all different parts of the world because we love them and because we love the world and because God first loved us. Why do we do that? Because God is love. I was at a conference a week and a half ago and um, I was, it was a toilet break and I was um, at the urinal. Um, and a chap who I didn't know stepped, next, uh, stepped up next to me and it was, it was a Christian leadership conference thing. Um, and, uh, and, and he said, hiya, where, where, whereabouts are you from? And I wasn't up for the conversation at the time, but I, I, did, I, did, I did what you do, so I answered. And I said, uh, South Buckinghamshire, um, uh, a village called Chavons and Peter, um, and I'm uh, part of the leadership of a church called Gold Hill Baptist Church. And he said, ah, I was at Gold Hill when God called me into ministry, and I was sent. So if anyone remembers Andy and Carolyn Gower, they send their greeting. I'm sure many of you won't, but those of you who were around a good number of years ago, and they had such warmth and such uh, gladness in talking about this church and how we, this body of believers, had sent them. Why? Because God is love. That's why we did it. may not have thought about it in exactly those terms, but that's why you do it. We, we, we go because God is love. 